Abun de Boschmaya Nitkadashma Te te malkuta Nehwe sebiana Aikana de Boschmaya Af baraha Hablan lachma de sunkanan yaumana Washbuklan haubain Waktahin Ay Kanadaf Khan Shpokan Habain Ula Dahlan Nesiuna Ela Patsan Min Bisha Amen Our One Absolute Eternal Being of which we are born forth from the realm of the all and the only. I am empty within the awe of your presence and the purity of your name. Empower my creative beingness through your expansion from the ever-present realm as I realize our strength and virtue as one. On the manifest earth as in the unmanifest realm, Provide the nourishment of your insight and realization through me and in every present moment. Release my hidden past as I cancel my past concerns with others. Do not let me lose my true self in forgetfulness, but wholly release me from the errors of my perception. For thy realm is the absolute, the all, and the only and our strength of virtue and magnificence. From cosmic gathering to cosmic gathering, from age to age, may these be the rooted earth from which all of my actions flow. Amen. Holy Spirit within me, living in wholeness, moving in joy and love, I surrender to your will. Bring the radiance of your light into my heart and mind. Merge with me to manifest your will upon the earth. Make me a conduit of your infinite knowledge. Amen. Hello and welcome back, beloved, to the God-Led Mystics podcast. I am your guide and host, Reverend Rose, here to give back another wonderful episode featuring Deborah of La Mara Soul Crafts. This is part two of our spicy rant, and of course, Deborah and I just spend way too much time talking about things that turn into podcasts, so we are committed to recording and showing up as often as possible, um, and there will definitely be more podcast episodes coming out soon. So in today's episode, we really talk a lot about the feminine mysteries, um, we talk about the Gnostic Gospels, how, you know, the the real mystic side of Christianity was hidden from the masses. We talk about how trauma and wounds are passed down intergenerationally, uh, the desecration of the feminine, and of course, how women are code carriers for knowledge that lives deep within the cells. Of course, this episode is for everyone. However, there is a major emphasis on the 
mystery, which is essentially feminine. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to seeing you soon. Enjoy! Okay, welcome back to part two of what I have considered on my Zoom end, the spicy rant between Deborah and Alexis. Um, before I introduce you, Deborah, I kind of have to talk about what happened at the end of our last <laughs> meeting because it was pretty crazy. So I'm going to set the stage here and let you know, like, I was alone with our toddler and Deborah and I were on Zoom and my dogs just started going crazy and when I went outside a man was like feverishly knocking on the door and I could not understand he I was like watching him maybe this sounds totally terrible I'm a little sketched out to answer the door <laughs> strange men but um I was like oh maybe he'll just go away he did not go away he got <laughs> louder and crazier and continued knocking on the door and of course, I was trying to wrap up with Deborah and like not be rude. Um, but I went out there and I finally opened the door after maybe like five minutes or so. And I opened the door and this guy was trying to drop off a dumpster to the house. And um, RJ when he's not doing his what I would call like his soul desires he's typically working in general contracting so RJ and his team were doing um a demo job down the road so they tried to drop off this dumpster at the house <laughs> at the wrong place and here's this guy his name of course was Jesus or Jesus and um and then he yelled at me because I told him he was at the wrong house. I told I told this guy, you know, you're at the wrong place. You have to go down the road. And he was like, well, why did they send me here? I was like, dude, I'm just a woman with a toddler. Like, please, I don't I don't have these answers. <laughs> so I'm like holding my babe, you know. <laughs> so it was just kind of funny. It was a really weird end. And I had to call Deborah and be like, okay, we got to try for part two. So in case you, you know, listened to the first half already <laughs> and we're here now, <laughs> that was kind of the crazy end. <laughs> yeah. And in case you haven't heard part one, definitely go back and listen to part one, because this is going to kind of tie into a lot of the stuff that we talked about in the first podcast. Yeah. So Deborah, if you would like to introduce yourself again. <laughs> it's gonna be different each time I do this because I just start Good. saying whatever comes to mind okay I am Deborah. I am a channeler I am an intuitive artist I work with the violet flame work with a lot of angels I'm an Akashic Records reader and I am devoted to the Gnostic teachings of Yeshua mm. not Love it. Jesus <laughs> yeah right so yes. funny I've been actually so RJ and I just watched The Chosen on Netflix if anyone is interested I definitely recommend it except for of course they call him Jesus I don't know why that irritates me so much but I think it's because like I guess I'm a like language geek and the idea that there is 
a J in Hebrew is just not correct. And so like when we call him that, it just it just seems to I don't know. I feel like it really diminishes who he was, but that's probably my own rant. Anyway, the point is is that the chosen was really good. And what I really loved about the chosen and a lot of the stuff that's coming out around Yeshua now is that they're starting to actually portray Mary Magdalene. And uh-huh. Mary Magdalene in the in chosen was of course the first um apostle that was chosen by Yeshua. And I'm just like my heart is overjoyed with the fact that they're finally starting to put Mary Magdalene back into the the puzzle piece. I mean, she's she is like such a giant piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. but my heart just like swooned when, you know, Mary Magdalene was like the first woman that was more or less chosen. Of course, I don't believe that. Um, well, of course, I believe that most media is not portraying her in the correct way but i'm at least happy that she's starting to be witnessed and revealed and given back to the masses so Mm -hmm. um it was so good that uh, the show is pretty good it just it it pretty much portrays like all the stories and the backgrounds of you know the people that he chose to walk with him more or less and uh, every time I watch it, it just makes me cry. I mean, anything that has to do with Yeshua's story, it always makes me cry. So that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still have to watch it. But there was another show on Netflix called Messiah. And that mm. was not bad either, because it made people think. It mm. made people think about what was Jesus to them, their ideas about Jesus, mm-hmm. and this whole concept of the second coming of Christ. And you just, you could see how everybody was just, it was like crazy chaos because everybody thought, oh, this one person here is going to save us. This is the second coming of Christ. And you could see how there was just riots, crazy behavior. And that show really portrayed how people are not really standing in their own power and how they would give all their power away to this guy who in the end was just like a dude, just a guy like, oh yeah, you guys all think I'm Jesus. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Right. It's so fascinating because um, like the, even the idea, like, I mean, I believe in a, a prophet, but like the idea that one person, you know, can rescue the whole world to me is a little crazy. Although mm-hmm. I do believe that one person can light a fire, which sparks the initiation and the remembrance of the whole planet. I do believe that. Um, yeah. But what I really find to be so fascinating about all of this stuff is just that, like, uh, you know, there, well, first, first of all, we can talk about, like, the miracles that Yeshua did. Now, of course... Deborah and I believe that Yeshua was in the scene and he was part of the, you know, um, out what what might have been considered the outcast or heretical group of people by um, the Pharisees. And, uh, you know, his his order or his community was filled with people that had their own miracle frequencies. And so you know, all of the studies that I've done 
around Yeshua in both a historical context and in like an Akashic or um, hypnosis context seems to reveal the fact that like he was a high level, um, you know, initiate of miracle mastery, which many of his counterparts also held within their, you know, their like codes, if you, if you want to call that. And the only reason I, I'm even talking about it is because a few years ago, when my aunt was alive, I had a great aunt who was like the original healer in our family. She kind of paved the way for me to come in <laughs> and take her mission and run with it. But um, we, we were sitting around one time watching a show called The Healer. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Deborah. No. Oh my goodness. It's it was like a um it was I don't know if it's still running, but it was a show about a man who would go around and perform miracles. It was called The Healer. I don't remember where it was at, but um I mean it was in the US, but I remember what channel it was on. Uh and it was about a man who just would go around and perform miracles for people. That's what he did. And he had a show. And I thought, how fascinating. Here is this man performing some of the same miracles as Yeshua did, except no one, I mean, yeah, no one really, you don't even know about this show or this man. I can't even remember his name. But I was thinking about just how how amplified like the miracle frequency is on our planet at this time and just how we've almost forgotten like the miracles of uh yeshua in a way because a lot of us are performing miracles in our own way or receiving miracles i think because i think i think we both perform and receive them all at the same time i don't know insert your words here deborah yeah but that is true. The first uh, about the Essenes, many people, they don't know enough about the Essenes. They don't even like any average, well, Christian, like any person that goes to church, you ask them, who are the Essenes? Oh, I don't know. There's some kind of like obscure little cult that existed during the time of Jesus. No, <laughs> they were like uh, highly trained mystical metaphysical wizards. And <laughs> when you go look at Anna, the grandmother of Jesus, she is known even in, in parts of the world. She's known in Native American tribes speak of Anna, grandmother of Jesus. They speak mm -hmm. of her dancing with dragons. I had a client and uh, she is Native American. I can't remember what tribe she's associated with, but she said, we speak of Anna, the grandmother of Jesus. And she is associated with dragons and i've since also seen i know we're talking about i know just like for one minute Always. i've seen how dragons were also part of the scene culture how they would be present their dragon energies incarnated dragons both uh, ethereal dragons jesus worked with dragons look at avalon look at joseph of arimathea who is jesus uncle brother of mary he went was one of the i think he was like one of the wealthiest men in israel at the time and he traveled to wales which was like the biggest producer of tin back in the days mm -hmm. of jesus and so yeah. he would always go back and forth so the druid teachings and the essene teachings are very similar 
Yeah, they I are wanna, yeah. I just wanted to pause and remind people in case you don't know, the national animal of Wales is the red dragon. But go on. Yes. Yeah. See? It's just <laughs> and, and Jesus went there when he was 13. He spent time in Avalon. Mm-hmm. And he trained there for several years. I think he was 16. And then he went to India, I believe. Yeah. And so he was all over the world. And he right. was practicing, studying um, all of this stuff that he got from all these other masters. He studied with Babaji in um, India. Then he mm-hmm. came back. And Joseph, his father, not to be confused with Joseph of Arimathea, his uncle, was Mm -hmm. a master alchemist who is also Saint Germain. He was one of the incarnations of Saint Germain. So there's so many things that people don't know about Yeshua. We're not going to say the other word. (laughs) And and I think if people would know that he was a master healer, he was psychic, he was a druid, he was all of these things, he was a wizard, then they would accept those parts of themselves. And then we right. would see a more balanced Christianity, a mystical version of true Christianity. And I'm just hoping that one day we can get there. And and we're getting super off topic, I know. <laughs> no, I think it's perfect. I think that's like what I really appreciated about The Chosen was is that he they portrayed Yeshua's ability to read minds. And um, so like someone would be thinking something and then Yeshua would say it out loud or Yeshua, you know, would call people by their names when he didn't, he didn't know them. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm, I was kind of putting together some like core memories and stuff. If you, if, if anyone here has listened to um, the interview I did with Lisa um, of Divine Radiance Temple, um we talked about how I went into a church one time and uh, they asked how, um, how Yeshua knew the name of the tax man. And the pastor said, well, that's because Yeshua knew everything. And I knew at that moment, I was like, okay, this is insane. But I'm starting to realize that they're actually missing a really big piece of Yeshua's story which is that telepathy is totally normal for humans that are in their mastery. And when RJ and I are like really in right relation with each other, we have telepathy. Um, That's kind of how we met actually. I think, I think I shared that story before, but uh, we met based on uh, telepathic communication with each other and that's kind of how I agreed to start seeing RJ even and give him the time of my day was because he would project thoughts into my mind (laughs) and when I asked him I know (laughs) when I asked him he said you know I was testing our connection I was like okay well I can give you that Um, but please don't do it all the time but now you know, RJ and I are, what, like three and a half years in, and we still have moments where I'll be thinking thoughts in my mind, just driving down the road, and then as soon as I'm done with my thought, RJ will say something about it. So it just exists naturally within us, and Mm -hmm. that's something about, like, being a human and being embodied and doing our soul work that we 
seem to negate. Telepathy is totally normal for humans. And the fact that Yeshua was able to have telepathy and to have the gift of prophecy and foresight was really just part of his um his skill level his high level mastery and i think that's kind of the issue that we have i mean by we i mean you and i deborah and also anyone else that might relate to us the issue that we have with modern day christianity is that they pedestal yeshua or who they call jesus as this inconquerable human who had um the holy spirit moving through him so well that ultimately he was god's only begotten son and they again i know we are kind of getting off topic but it all is actually (laughs) related to everything that we want to talk about today because you got me started on the gnostic gospels um (laughs) You know, the original form of Christianity was Gnosticism, and Gnosticism was rooted in the mystical teachings of Christ, which taught you how to access those high levels of soul gifts. And that doesn't mean, you know, maybe maybe your gift isn't healing. Maybe your gift is channeling. Um, but it it really taught you how to access your soul wisdom mm-hmm. so that you could actualize the Christ consciousness. And of course, the, you know, the leading issue I think Deborah and I have with modern day Christianity is it pedestals this person and creates this really unhealthy dynamic to the, the idea that there's something outside of you that saves you. There's someone yeah. outside of you that rescues you um and it's just like (laughs) i have the perfect way to like segue into our topic basically what the church has done is that they have created a collective trauma bond to its followers and that is right a negatively polarized energy or reptilian or whatever it's mm-hmm. not necessarily only reptilian it can be an ancestral thing it's it's so multi-layered mm-hmm. but it is a negative cord a trauma bond that is created right. from this institution this institution has this cord connected to these people that think without this institution i am nothing I am nobody. I have no value without this institution. Yeah, and we see that a lot, like when people leave Mormonism or even when people leave their Amish communities or uh, anything of that nature. I guess I would consider all those things to be cultish. I feel like it's a cult if, like, you leave and you're Mm -hmm. ostracized, you know? (laughs) And it's true. Like, I... Uh, so I don't know how I've gotten on this, but um, for some reason on Facebook, I've gotten these like uh, real suggestions from people who've left Amish society and they talk about some of the like some of the rules and laws that they have to follow even to go see yeah. another um, or to yeah. visit their family in the community. And they like one woman was, t- you know, talking about how um you know, Amish women aren't allowed to shave and they're not allowed to do this. And another Amish man was talking about how he, you know, his grandfather, who was a high level pastor or preacher in his, in his community, 
um, talked about the Amish being the 144,000 of beings of light that were going to help the Messiah come back or, you know, basically see the new earth. And for him, he realized that there was over 200,000 Amish people in America. And so he was like, wait, so these teachings have to be false because there's already more Amish people than is considered this like sacred number. And I was really just thinking about like how traumatizing it is to have rules and stipulations for your belongingness in this religious order. I understand I well, everything I do is is really influenced by the laws of Ma'at. But the laws of Ma'at are they're called they're they're like true name is the declaration of innocence and so we read the laws of ma'at morning and night in the i will not and i have not statement unless you have so the idea of the laws of ma'at are that you live by these principles and when you break them you take accountability and ask to be better that's that's what these laws are for they're not for you know being sent to the fiery depths of hell to be eaten by sobek they are to make yourself better to be the best version of yourself and when you look at the laws of churches they are to keep you in fear because Mm -hmm. somebody that is in fear is not moving their energy is stagnant and that is fuel basically that is fuel that is food for the thing that wants to get that energy that attention from these people that needs that because it basically does not have its own connection to source, to mother, father, God. So right. it's like I'm going to create a cord to all of this and all these people. And you are going to be the thing that I get my energy from. And that mm-hmm. is how this whole Christian church was established. When you look at Catholicism, it is Roman Christianity. It's not even right. Christianity. It is Roman It's a Roman religion. It's basically still the Roman Empire, which is post-Atlantean cabal. I know I sound like Alex Jones, but (laughs) it is what it is. Well, the crazy thing about it, too, is like when you think about what Rome really stood for, you know, they stood for law and order and basically the subjugation of the human mind. Um, So by law and order, I mean the subjugation of the human mind. And they were... Um, they were in the business of creating empires and structures that included, you know, creating power and wealth. And um, they, I think they suddenly realized that Christianity or Catholicism or just even the Bible in general could have been used to subjugate the human mind in a way that was more effective psychologically than weapons. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can kill someone and not to say that killing is something that we would ever take lightly, but the fear of your afterlife or like what happens to your soul is something that I think drives people. Um, it just drives people, it motivates people to take certain actions and certain decisions. And this idea that there, you know, is a Lord that um, is willing to send you to the fiery depths of hell to be tortured for an eternity is much mm-hmm. more of a psychological threat 
than the act of death itself, in my opinion. <laughs> it sounds like kind yeah. of scary to say that out loud. <laughs> but yeah, not really, because you have no idea. Like most people have no idea what comes after I die. Mm -hmm. we they have no idea what comes after you die but then when mm -hmm. you just like take that programming for like take yourself out of the programming like hypothetically speaking let's say I am a religious person I'm going to church I'm 37 years old I've been going to church my whole life mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I'm like let me just take myself out of this programming and look at this logically like just a normal person that is neutral what mm -hmm. mother or father, when you have a child, is going to tell this child, you will go to hell if you don't, I will not love you anymore. Child, right. you are my child, but I will not love you anymore. And I will send you to hell for all eternity if you do this, 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 or this. No parent right. does mm -hmm. that. Well, it's actually fascinating because I was on Twitter the other day. <laughs> I don't know how I end up on Twitter. <laughs> And someone, someone posted, a woman, a mother posted this, like, oh, how to support your children um, when, you, you know, like how to encourage good behavior um, when you take your children out to eat or something like that. And I was like, oh, nice thread. And the first thing it said was, now, firstly, you have to accept that your child has a sinful nature. And I was like, no. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, it starts oh so God. young. It starts so, so, so mm. young. Like this idea that your child comes into this world broken to me makes no sense. The, I mean, when I look at a tiny, you've given birth, I've given birth. Anyone that's listening that's given birth knows like that moment you receive that baby to your breast. You're like, this is a little baby angel. Mm -hmm. This is god incarnate in my hands yeah and what the fuck do i do next <laughs> how do how i do not I drop the baby yeah uh oh am i gonna be able to to go down the stairs holding a baby it's all these yeah. things that, that... <laughs> will i but traumatize no, yeah. this beautiful human angel mm -hmm. in my hands like i don't want to yeah. hurt them i don't want to scar them emotionally and then there's this there's this there's this whole other side of the world that's like well, welcome through my sinful yoni portal into the sinful, horrible world. Congratulations, little baby angel. You have now been born into sin. Like, what? what? That is pretty. Yeah, that's horrible. So, I, I'm just, you know, our, my topic or our topic that we chose for today is actually to talk about these bonds and these contracts and these covenants we take. Mm -hmm. which I think begin mm -hmm. with the simple belief systems that we're carrying and of course imprinting onto our children and to the people around us, which, yeah. it, you know, I think that when you tell a child or you believe a child, or if you even just think thoughts that your child is sinful by nature, you're imprinting them energetically with this idea that they're not good enough, that they're bad, that they, you know, are, um not holy in any way so how can we access god when we believe that we're dirty little uh murderous Sinners. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but and children already because for those that don't know i have like 12 different 
professions and careers that I've had in my my life. I'm also a kindergarten teacher or used to be anyway. And I went to college and studied early childhood development and psychology. Mm-hmm. And a child that is like up until the age of seven, six, seven years old will automatically take the blame for stuff. They do that because they see they, they, they see the people around them. And when they see, oh, there's something wrong, there's something going on, it is my fault. They're going to be like, oh, it's my fault unless it has a secure uh, home environment. And parents that also have a secure attachment style because some parents have an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style. And they're going to start to put all this weight on this child. So add on to that this whole religious programming all these expectations, like this child, you need to be perfect. You need to listen to all these rules because otherwise I cannot love you or you are not good enough and I will avoid you. If they have an avoidant attachment style, if they have an anxious attachment style, they're going to be like, oh, I need you to be this perfect child to fulfill my needs. And then this child is going to be like, I can never be good enough. I can never be clean enough. I can never be innocent enough. And then they are just constantly going to feel unworthy. And they are in this system, if they're going to church in this religious system, constantly feeling unworthy. And they can never live up to this Jesus Christ who was perfect. But Mm -hmm. the only thing they can do is just pray a little more, go to church every week. Because what would happen if we didn't do that, then we would be even worse. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. programming completely. And I I feel like I feel like as soon as we went away from nature-based religious practices such as shamanism and I mean shamanism is like the eternal oldest kind of like religious standing that we could have. Um and shamanism really was just like the relationship to earth in a way. Um or maybe that's closer to animism. I kind of feel like they overlap but the point is is that I feel like as soon as we stepped away from this like natural earth-based um spiritual uh relationship and went into this like patriarchal paradigm of you know God as the father and only the father then we forgot the the natural ebbs and flow of the human psyche and the magic that's available to us because i feel like i feel like when we use the earth and the natural cycles that surround us as our spiritual basis we realize that there is a time for everything and all things are revealed with the light and the the energy that is available and surrounding us in our environment So it was like, as soon as we created the schism, and of course, like, created, I mean, just even the idea that, like, God is only this masculine figure Mm -hmm. automatically removes a whole half of the world, because now there's no representation of the feminine. And without the feminine, we get this inverted matrix that starts to unhealthily take over the feminine, like our caves, um, which are, you know, are considered like the wombs of the earth are distorted. Um, The relationship between the womb and giving birth is distorted. 
I feel like all of it kind of, well, it, there's, I wrote an article once called um, It All Begins in the Womb. And I feel like all of these contracts and covenants and spiritual psychic attacks happen or happened when we erased the woman and the feminine from our spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, just, yeah, go on, insert Deborah here. <laughs> yeah, but it is true because the womb is the sacral chakra where our creativity lives where we create as women i think most women need to feel something they need to feel the idea they need mm -hmm. to feel the inspiration in their creative right. center because if they are acting from this masculine action we have to do this from the mind it can never have this energy of birth it can never have this energy of this just creative, growing, like a child that you see growing up, you can feel it. And most of us women, we have been programmed to be like men. You have to be masculine. You have to take action. You have to just do, 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 have schedule, do all this every day, do the same. When you are basically four women in one month, you are one woman when you have your period. Then, then you just want to be in your cave. You are very introverted in that time then you have the week like leading up to ovulation the first week after period it's like yay i have all this energy i can get like 10 work days done in one day awesome right then you have your ovulation and i'm just like all super creative in that week i come up with the best ideas i have energy i can actually exercise and i am like <laughs> balanced in my energy then you have the third week where you are just wanting to like slay people verbally slay people it's like mm -hmm. the version of me comes out that is ready to just be done with anything that is like the the judge the judge comes out kind of mm -hmm. yeah i guess yeah that luteal phase <laughs> And then, yeah, and the thing is, we need to somehow find a way to put these four phases into our society because women, mm -hmm. we are being so off topic <laughs> again. Yeah, uh, but it's we totally fine. we're always expected to just be this one person. And this is how you are. You have to be predictable and that's how you have to be. But the thing is, we cannot do that because then we would make ourselves small. We would have to change completely and step away from being a woman, which is right. also being sinful per definition, according to the church anyway. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then, of course, you have the fact that you and that's why they start saying, oh, yeah, hysterical women, the women and, and, and their their mood swings and anger when research has shown that men act way more from emotion and way more impulsively from emotion than women. Mm -hmm. And we see this when you see like the wars that have been started, um, political discussions, just take a look at like a conference room full of politicians. And it's not going to be the women usually that are doing the arguing. It's going to be the men. Right. Yeah, I think all that also ties into the story of Yeshua just in general, because, um, you know, we have this story of the Christ, and then there's no feminine Christ, although we know that to be a lie. 
And one of the things that I always remind people is that it was always the women. It was the women who washed his body. It was the, the women who watched him be put on this cross. It was the women who were there when he resurrected or Mary Magdalene. But it was always the women. The women stayed in dedication to uh, seeing this complete its cycle or, uh, you know, allowing him to move into this next stage of his ministry. And, um, yeah, effectively, all the women were erased. And, you know, we're told there were only 12 disciples or 12 apostles. And we know that to be a lie, um, actually. And we also know that he had a deep reverence for awakening the women of that time because of i mean the essene community was very balanced just in the same way that the comedic or egyptian community was the same way there was no separation between men and women um in terms of teaching and wisdom and initiating the internal spark of knowing uh and so i'm sure that his recognition of this gift that everyone held, you know, pushed him to stand up and say, this is insane. Like you cannot Mm -hmm. be part of this patriarchal system anymore. Like as a woman, you have a sacred ministry. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anyone's read the acts of uh, Thecla, I think that's her name and Paul. Um, But I think it goes to show like Paul's patriarchal standards in that, that gospel because of course uh she's like telling paul like i feel the holy spirit inside of me i'm gonna follow you and paul's like you need to get married you need to be a housewife (laughs) she's like yeah paul i have god actually because i I, I even quoted a bible verse in one of my newsletters where mary magdalene after jesus ascended Mm -hmm. yeshua i excuse me (laughs) um and uh so she goes to paul and she's like uh, Yeshua came to me with a message and he's like I do not believe you you right. are a woman why would Jesus come to you you are a woman and right. um, yeah it was like oh Paul. yeah it's a whole fight <laughs> and yeah. now that we're talking about reading the books uh, they walked with Jesus and Jesus and the Essenes by Dolores Cannon in one of those two books um, she hypnotizes people and they go back to the time of Jesus and they lived within the Essene community. Mm-hmm. And um, there's one person that is Jesus's mentor from in the Essene community when he was a little boy, when he was a child, that person remembers teaching Jesus. And so she did an entire series of hypnosis sessions with this person right. and got the whole book. I think it was Jesus and the Essenes. And in that book, this teacher specifically said in hypnosis, it was necessary for the Essenes to be extremely balanced. For every male initiate, there needed to be a female. For every student that is male, there needed to be a female. And they were just blown away. Like how that doesn't make sense. There would be an imbalance. They couldn't understand how that could even work. Right. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the, like, leading problem that we see now in this religious 
um, or, and we can take religion completely out of it, but spirituality, like there's a lot of men, um, and I don't mean this to like insult men by any means, but there have been a lot of men who have abused their positions of power in spirituality. And I'm saying it like that because we see this rampant both in the psychedelic community, in the church, and in healing scenarios, we see men that are taking advantage of people. And by people, I mostly mean women. Um, I mean, unless they're leaning the other way. But um, the point of that really, and the reason I'm talking about it is because when we are not balanced, we don't live in alignment with actual divine wisdom. And I'm pretty old school, I guess, in a sense, in the belief that I think women need to be with women and men need to be with men. Now, that doesn't mean that they need to live there, but their healing has to be done within those confinements uh, because men do not know what women actually go through and women do not know what men go through unless they have a very general um, basis of work. But, but of course, like this all ties back into um, the hormonal cycle, the uh, the ability to carry life. And then, of course, men have a totally different relationship to life that women don't necessarily understand mm-hmm. in the way that a man might be able to. Um, and so I feel like we have to initiate each other, um, no matter of the gender or the sex. Um, I don't, don't I am so confused as to what's politically correct on that, but um, Just I feel say like, whatever you feel. <laughs> I, I feel like if you have a womb, you need to be with other wombs. If you have a penis, you need to be with other yeah, penises. Yeah, that's, that's maybe let's just do that because all these terms and words and whatever it changes every month, and yeah. and I can't keep up with with it. So yeah, but that is true, and just, that's the thing with. Go ahead. Yeah. Some of the, the clients that I've had, uh, female mentorship clients, then they will message me because they have my phone number and I tell them in between sessions, just message me. Oh, I feel so weird today. I feel so upset. I feel blah, 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 and this and that. And blah. and then the week before they were doing great. And then the first thing I ask them is, where are you on your cycle? Right. Oh, I don't know. And then they're PMSing. I'm like, yeah, but look at where you are on your cycle mm-hmm. and look at where you were last week. It's normal. Then they feel guilty. They feel yeah. like they are not doing good. Oh, I'm not doing good. Yeah, but it's okay because look at where you are on your cycle. Right. Yeah. And what is good anyway? I feel like all of this goes, you know, like our intention for today is rant was to be uh, to talk about like attachments and cords and trauma bonds and I feel like all of this is related because as a woman we have been basically segregated from all of life um and maybe that sounds dramatic to say but it's pretty general it's pretty generally true because you know women are expected to go to their nine to five every week and that's it there's no real support when that was just that's not how it was before before the woman got erased the women were actually the leaders in many ways and Mm -hmm. we when 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 i say that like let's not we're not thinking like they're the president but excuse me they are they were recognized 
from an indigenous standpoint, the women were recognized as the energetic leaders of the clan mm-hmm. or the tribe. So yeah. when women were bleeding, they were supported in their bleed. When women were ovulating, they were supported in their ovulation. When women were carrying life, they were supported in that. And they were treated as a very sacred part because the clan knew or tribe, depending on where you come from, they knew that women were the birthers of the potential reality of the clan. So if women were not right emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, there was a schism that was happening in the clan. Mm -hmm. But when the patriarchal system took over and divorced the woman from this system, they effectively used the women to give birth to the patriarchal paradigm because they recognized the same exact knowing and they used it to their advantage. And so they, they realized that they could indoctrinate um, both energetically, spiritually, and emotionally the woman to fulfill the needs of the patriarchy without having to do as much work in a sense that's why Mm -hmm. you know these elaborate rituals started happening in caves or these elaborate rituals involved um ritual sex work uh and you can insert like the horrors that they've done to women now that we know uh i won't even say it out loud but we know they've used that systematically to Um, create a lot of these trauma bonds and these attachments that we now have on this planet and probably have carried for at least 3,000 years since the age of Taurus has been passed Mm -hmm. we have been you know fulfilling these like negative or nefarious agendas on this planet through this system of like overtaking the woman now I did of course you know it, it it's like it's it's complex and simple all in one because you know we can see this passed down from woman to woman i think about this a lot with my grandmother my grandmother um she, she was my family was built on a matriarchy so um i do have to give credit to my family for that but also that was like forced upon my mother or my, my grandmother she had four children and her husband um my grandfather uh ended up disabled and it was a very heroic event that ended up in this catastrophe um my grandfather was uh an elevator constructor and one of the elevators the cable snapped and you know it went plummeting down and he rescued his apprentice by jumping on top of him and taking the brunt of the fall but it effectively broke his back and oh. severed his ability to work for the rest of his life it's quite interesting actually my dad was like four years old when this happened so my grandmother was forced into a position to not only take care of her children but to also take care of her disabled husband and be the you know prominent income creator for her family and uh she's essentially created like a whole generation of women that like want nothing to do with men based on that idea alone and of course this is passed down a little bit to us her grandchildren um but anyway the 
point of what I'm trying to say here is that I, I've seen this the way that this has journeyed through my own familial lines, because, of course, my grandmother was raised in a way where um, my grandmother was born in the 30s. And her father told her, you know, women don't go to college. That's not what they do. They marry a they marry a man. And she like ran away. She joined the army. Um, she like rebelled against him until he took her out of the army. It's really crazy. I don't know. How, I didn't realize your your parents could take you out of the army at that time. But he took her out of the army and forced her to come back home. And so she got married and you know left and. I'm kind of going on a rant here, but the point is, is that I've watched how this has journeyed through our lines and how I have now taken it. Like now as the womb holder, as the one that's now giving birth to new life, I've had to consider like in what ways are we still promoting these like patriarchal paradigms of this is what Mm -hmm. a woman can and cannot do versus like what is allowed for a woman to be what you know what kind of life am i creating for my children like what kind of belief systems am i passing down um and where you know where am i related to systems of chaos and control and oppression and all of that stuff so i guess i'm going to stop there (laughs) no but it is interesting because as you were talking i'm thinking like trying to look at my mother look at my grandmother and look at the stuff that I've seen for myself that I have reprogrammed. And I just talked about this in a video that I posted, this witch wound, this witch wound that a lot of women have. Mm -hmm. And my mom is a natural oracle. Mm -hmm. I am a natural oracle. My grandma is a natural oracle, but my grandma was raised. um, She was born in 1937. So she in Belgium. So she was a little girl when the war World War II happened. And she remembers like, oh, you have to be invisible. It is safer mm-hmm. to be invisible. And she actually, her father died because um, they were hiding in a bomb shelter and they were dropping V-bombs on the houses everywhere. And there was a bomb that dropped on the house and her dad threw himself on top of her and mm-hmm. she had nothing and her father died. So she was like, okay, we have to stay hidden. I have to stay invisible hidden so that nothing bad can happen to me. And then you have, because she was like into astrology. She was always talking about astrology. She did yoga. She could like do super complex yoga poses at like 65, 70 years old. And I'm looking at her like, what are you doing? I can't do that. (laughs) And I'm like 12 at the time. I don't know. And, um, And then my mom uh she always encouraged me to be like open with this stuff be this oracle like she recognized right away you have channeling abilities you see angels you speak to angels we have to hone these skills and in the beginning you could see that she was like okay but don't talk to anybody about this keep this Mm -hmm. quiet because people will mock you people will do this because that's what happened to her Mm -hmm. and so but then now she's seeing that i'm I've worked through all of these layers and I'm always like still working through more and more of these layers. And I started like writing an anonymous blog that had a fake name in 2017. And and now I'm doing podcasts, videos, all this stuff. And I'm talking about all this stuff. And then like what really was the trigger for me to see myself this way 
and to realize that this is who I am was in 2017 when I had my very first Akashic Records experience where I was just kind of catapulted into my own Akashic Records Mm -hmm. and I saw myself as a female druid and I was the spiritual leader of this clan in um like scotland at the time the picts they were back then called picts and they were at the border of england and scotland and this was around like roman occupation times but they could never really get there the romans always had a very hard time getting into scotland and i saw how she was in the middle of this roundhouse and i'm creating a bunch of images around that and i'm going to start sharing them online where she's in the middle of the circle of men and they are all paying attention to what she's saying, what I'm saying in that life. And I'm there and I'm channeling. I'm like in this oracular state receiving guidance on what should we do next in these political developments that are happening in all these tribes in the area with these Romans invading, tribal conflicts, all this stuff. And all the other women were not allowed in the roundhouse. And if they were, then they had to be all the way against the wall. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel like, okay, I was important and I wasn't a woman. And like nobody dared like to talk back to me if I said, this is what we do. We do this, we do this. These men were like, okay, we do this. And that is what we have lost in today's society. We don't recognize the oracular gifts Mm -hmm. of intuitive women. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally mm-hmm. agree. <laughs> because yeah. women see they women have foresight. I mean, men do as well, but women are, I think, more connected to the mystery because of the space of holding the womb. I mean, women have been chosen to steward new life within their bodies. That's something that men don't have access to. They can help create new life, but they do not carry it. They don't grow it. They don't birth it either. So women naturally have this oracular state of ecstasy. And this is also something that I find really fascinating because it's been taken out of pregnancy and birth. Women will, I mean, we call it like uh, prodromal labor, right? But they will go in and out of the birth portal as as early as, you know, 16 weeks pregnant, where they're starting to access these higher states of consciousness and going in and out of these states of consciousness, which I didn't recognize until after I had given birth even, because no one has, no one talks about this. Mm-hmm. I I used to, I remember like being towards the end of my pregnancy and standing in a kitchen and leaving my body. Um, we were like having dinner with um, our landlords at the time. And while they were all talking, I left my body. And I remember like, I remember my body like steadying itself and my body, my, my spirit came out and I'm like floating around for a few minutes and then I came back in. And I think that's what, what, what might've been considered like prodromal labor. Not that I was having contractions, but that actually my spirit was preparing for the journey it was about to take when, you know, I went into labor, but um, you know, again, The other thing that I've recognized after giving birth is that women have access to this also during our cycle, our our certain times in the cycle, 
very specifically when we're bleeding. When we're bleeding, we have access to this higher level states of oracular wisdom, which is why I actually think, and now this is just my own intuitive knowing, I've never read a book, I've never done anything about this, but I think that's why blood has been recognized as sacred when it comes from the woman, because this is the same time where she's like hooked into the goddess and she's like channeling this wisdom that's coming now through her body and mm-hmm. out. It's it's actually coming out. We're seeing this total like um this total birth of like this oracular wisdom that that women are available to at all times. And again, this isn't to say that men don't have their own states of bliss, but I think that men have to work harder to access oracular states of ecstasy while women just live in it most of the time. But we've women have become so desensitized to it that one, we have seen the lobotomization of women up until at least the 80s. Um, I know, I know people who are daughters and granddaughters of women who have been lobotomized um, up until the 80s and you know women have been subjugated and basically beaten out of speaking what is actually available to them at all times so when our women are treated this way we create trauma bonds like you talked about in the beginning Mm -hmm. There are traumatic soul signatures that are passed down from woman to woman um, and even from woman to, ch- to child. If it's if it's a boy, of course, he knows. But um, even if it's not conscious, uh, it's passed down in the lineage and women who experience trauma. Right. From a from a, a biological perspective, you are inside of your grandmother when she is carrying um when or when she's um even when she's in the womb you are part of you know the the biological makeup so at least from your grandmother whatever has happened to your grandmother is already biologically experienced in your body before you're even developed which is quite fascinating when we think about that on a cellular level, because that means from a, a an emotional, energetic, and spiritual level, we're carrying a lot of the traumas and the contracts and the covenants that were spoken over our grandmother, even in the womb. Mm-hmm. And that is why when I was pregnant, when I found out I was pregnant in 2000, when was it, 14? Uh, the first thought I had was, oh, my God, how am I not going to traumatize this baby? And I immediately knew, okay, the way that this child is born, the way that I am during this entire nine-month pregnancy is going to be the foundation for this child's life. And so I'm really happy that I discovered hypnobirthing and, like, I'm I was just like this makes sense this makes sense because like you said you are naturally in this more intuitive in between dimensions kind of state when you're pregnant and then that's where we get these these um stereotypes of oh women that are pregnant they get clumsy because they're ungrounded they're not grounded enough so they get clumsy they they trip or they they drop stuff and whatever 
and because they are in between worlds and when you have hypnobirthing it works with the breath it connects you to your body and also to your intuition and it works with communication with your child communication with your breath with your womb and with your birthing process it makes you the person that is in charge of the entire process, which is the way that it should be. And then you have a child that comes into the world um, through a portal, a mother that is calm and that is in control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think this is another thing that kind of pisses me off is that, um, you know, women are expected to go to their job when they're pregnant and I think if, if a woman wants to that's totally fine from a state of survival I think that's pretty fucked up um mm -hmm. <laughs> because she is in between two worlds and everything that's happening is imprinting her womb and I see I see so many horror stories and it breaks my heart because um oh let me I'll just I see like horror stories of women you know who uh are having a hard time with hr about their maternity leave and it's like yeah we we don't even prioritize a pregnant mother in our society and that is the biggest disservice that we're doing to both her and the children that are coming onto this planet which is why it's pretty much up to us at this point from a grassroots perspective to prioritize the pregnant women to prioritize the babies that are coming onto this planet because we're breaking generations of soul contracts of uh, destitution in a way spiritual destitution subjugation to the system um uh religious authority uh to powers outside of ourselves i feel like i feel like we're really like busting the paradigms of just like i don't know up uh <laughs> fucked up power scenarios is what i want to say i'm trying to say like you know external power dynamics or like this this mm -hmm. like contractor covenant that we have especially for lots of us you know that are doing this work that like the government's going to get us or we're going to be hunted or um, we have to listen to what is appropriate otherwise you know we'll be harmed I don't know am I making yeah. sense yes yes but it's good it's just a rant it's a rant podcast but it, we need one we need one like this but it's like one of the affirmations in hypnobirthing is my body knows exactly how to birth this child. Mm -hmm. Every woman knows exactly how to birth this child. You don't have to use your mind. Your mind no, is you not going to be birthing the child. The body knows what it has to do. You have to just get out of the way. You have to let your body birth this baby. Right. And you have to just get out of the way. But of mm -hmm. course, what happens is women, they get so brainwashed into believing you cannot you are not strong enough you don't know what you're doing we right. will do it for you we will put you on this pitocin which is a chemical that's going to make your contractions worse but it's okay you can get an epidural it's okay you can get a c-section and then you have a mm -hmm. baby that is born traumatized and it has right. a trauma bond right away from the moment it is born mm -hmm. yeah yeah and 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 there's like 
there's, you know, women are feeling so much at this point that having these conversations can trigger women to, you know, to fight or flight mode and saying, you know, this, that's shameful. How dare you say that to a mother who fought for her life in the hospital? And we know that most of the 99% of the interventions that hospitals uh, do are what cause the supposed life-saving yeah. measures that are necessary yeah, exactly. for if women. They would have just, yeah, gone out of the the way of this woman if they would right. have just stayed far away and let mm-hmm. her do her thing, then right. none of those things would have happened. Right. And so now, now the medical establishment is like another church. So that's kind of what I'm recognizing now is that we've kind of gone from the church to the medical establishment. So now instead of, you know, having to hold these belief systems in order to be safe, you have to get these injections or you have to go to the pediatrician or Mm -hmm. you have to do this in order to you know make the medical establishment happy and people some of the people in my life are horrified that my child has never seen a medical practitioner um why would he ever need one that makes no sense to me he's i mean we deal with everything at home his wellness comes from being at home um you know, there's no there's no reason for me to see a pediatrician because they're designed to push injections. That's how they get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> what, what what I don't Why understand what the there? point yeah. would be. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. now now we have a whole trauma bond with the body and we're like, I don't know. Does this sound crazy? Am I sounding insane? And I hope it's going to make sense to everybody listening, but we have been collectively so programmed over and over and over and generation after generation that when somebody says something that is so simple, just really simple, That makes perfect sense. Look at a cat giving birth. Look at a dog giving birth. Look at a horse giving birth. Look at a cow giving birth. You don't see them freaking. Well, they freak out a little bit. But I mean, you see them finding a quiet, calm place to go have their child, to go deliver their baby. And they get out of their mind and they know that their body knows what it's doing. It's just a process that the body knows exactly how to anticipate. And they just go through it. Right. Yeah. And and all of that is totally related to the bonds and the contracts and the covenants that we're creating for these children. Um, Because I know, like, my mom talks about all the time about, you know, things that her doctor said to her while she was pregnant or things that happened in the hospital um, that her doctor did to her or me when I was born or, um, you know, even like RJ just recently found out that he was vacuumed out of his mother. He was like, he has a bump on the, on his head. And he was like, is this where that bump is from? Because he's always had this bump on his head. And now he's like, wait, I think that vacuumed caused me permanent damage. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, those, like when we, when we even give birth to children, we begin with the contracts and the covenants and, and there's so little true spiritual teachings. Like this, this has been a spiritual practice for thousands of years before the patriarchy. 
And one little bomb I'll drop here that I've said a thousand times over, but will remind people, is that the even the practice of gynecology was created by a white man who was so fascinated with the vagina that he started experimenting on slaves and would institute other female slaves to hold down and support in the torture of cutting women open and studying their insides and of course 90 percent of them died and scarred all the other women that supported it but that is the only reason we have any real understanding at this point of what gynecology is is because it started with the with the torture of enslaved black women here in america you can't like separate the history of gynecology to what mm-hmm. we have now and we actually see the roots of that i think most medical i think that most medical stuff that we have today is actually rooted in trauma i was like reading a story of a, a an amputeer and he he was basically a sadist he loved being able to cut off the limbs of other people and was notorious for you know accidentally cutting off a finger or maybe taking part of a testicle out accidentally and um i actually believe that it makes me sick to even say it out loud or think about it because it's like it's so torturous i genuinely believe that most of the stuff that we have now as a medical protocol was rooted in the trauma of the physical body And that cannot be separated from what we have today. We don't have real holistic healing as our medical establishment. Oh, God, how did we get here? We started on Yeshua and we ended on... This is necessary. This is all necessary stuff because it is all part of like we're living in this world where we don't trust the body. So, of course, we're not going to trust feeling intuition in our body. Mm -hmm. And that is like people will ask me, how I, I'm not visual, I'm not clairvoyant, I don't hear voices. How do I recognize the voice of my intuition? You feel it in your body. But if you are so dissociated from your body through either shame, trauma, um, just being in your head, because that is where you are being taught to always be, then you're not going to feel intuition in your body. You're going to feel right. it, but you're not going to recognize it. And then right. you're going to get you're going to start developing stomach problems you're going to start to develop migraines you're going to start to develop stuff and i'm not saying i'm all perfect i get headaches and then i know oh i'm in my head this is going on i need to now get out of my head i need to do this or this or this and take care of my body and then we are not taught to do that we're being taught oh you have a problem go to the doctor and -hmm. they're gonna give you something right and what's something other than like you just I've, I have a I have this article wrote, written uh, written about this also like your symptoms are the healing process like your symptoms are the the conversation between the body the mind and the spirit that's saying hey this is what I need right now and where you know we're accustomed to giving our power away to an authority that says oh well mm-hmm. this is what's happening in your body rather than being like hmm, yeah there's this shoulder pain. I wonder what that's teaching me and where this really comes from. We could actually explore the depths of the body from the inside out, but we're taught from 
the, you know, Mm -hmm. satanic cult indoctrination of the medical industry that they know better than you. And it's not true because most of them are working on their own intuition anyway, or what they've been taught from a book. Um, And so we could really spend more time going into our body and exploring, well, what is this pain in my body? Where does this come from? And sometimes it can be as simple as like, I dislocated my shoulder a couple weeks ago, and now I need to rest. This is, you know, uh, like a divinely orchestrated plan that was me needing to come back into myself and stop like, you know, stop with this forward motion. Um, Or it could be as multidimensional as you were literally, you know, traumatized in this other lifetime. And now your body is doing a cellular repair in a spiritual Mm -hmm. way to support this healing of the shoulder. So maybe for lifetime after lifetime, maybe we'll say in the original lifetime, your arm was cut off in a battle. And from there, the weight of the world was on your shoulders. Lifetime after lifetime, you got into these scenarios where you just felt the weight of the world and now in this lifetime your body is ready to release it and i, I see this all the time in my work with my healing sessions where i go through mm-hmm. all the chakras and i can see if somebody has a physical problem how it's connected especially when i do in-person healing because i'm very clairvoyant so mm-hmm. i can see when there is something that happened in a past life or in the Akashic Records, I will scan the chakras and I can see, okay, this or this or this problem. And um, like a lot of people that have back problems, they have heart chakra problems because it's connected. It's like basically the back side of the heart chakra. And a lot of the times they literally have a heavy heart and it is Mm -hmm. weighing on their, their... their muscles that are there in that spot, basically on the back. And they have all this trauma that is stored in their heart Mm -hmm. or people that keep having sinus infections that have like uh, throat infections. They have throat chakra issues Mm -hmm. or people with migraines. They have problems with their crown or third eye. Mm -hmm. It's really logical. It's like, look at the chakra that is located in the spot where you are having physical problems. Mm -hmm. it's so fascinating because like rj from a very young age had migraines and it started first with um he would get like aura migraines you know so basically you would almost black out he couldn't really see anything he couldn't open his eyes and at first they attributed it to msg and the preservatives and food dye and all that stuff and i think that all that is very valid But what was interesting was that he cut all of that out and then still every, like when we met, he would get a migraine at least every two to three months. It was like a pattern. And when I got pregnant, I I mean, RJ's migraines were so bad. I used to stop whatever I was doing to take care of him because that's what was necessary. He had to go to bed. Um, we had to cover all the lights. Um, I had to make sure he ate food and then he would be in bed for at least three days. And when I got pregnant, I looked at RJ and I was like, there's no way I can't do this anymore. Like I can't take care of two children more or less. And I didn't mean it to be rude. I meant it to be like, we need to figure out what's going on here. And so we really did some powerful work 
to not only figure out that like this was a mix of his breathing he was like bringing he was circulating all this stuff in his head he was one chest breathing up here he wasn't belly breathing but two he would go into these like certain thought patterns or belief systems where he would begin to um spin out in his head and so archie hasn't had a migraine in a very long time like once he we figured out these two things and because he could always feel when the migraine was coming so um now rj has never had a migraine well i shouldn't say never he's had very very few migraines anytime it started to come on we've addressed what's going on where is your breathing and what are you spinning out in and then i've kind of supported him in coming back into his body and saying this is not a problem your mind solving. And that's also something I think people don't recognize is that a lot of the problems that we have problems in quotes that we have as humans are not solved in our brain. They're not no. solved <laughs> with our thoughts. They're solved in surrender, in trust, mm-hmm. in choosing to open and look at what's there. So exactly. insert Deborah here. <laughs> yeah, but that is true because each time that I am going through something that seems like, okay, this is another initiation. Now, how am I going to solve this? I'm just being reminded because I'm in one right now, literally, as we're doing this podcast, I am going to be stepping on a plane in two weeks and I have no idea what happens after that. So um, yeah, basically it reminds me each time to get out of my head and to pay attention to this intuition in my body and feel the answers rather than thinking them. I think that's that's kind of a, a good one to leave people Beautifully with. Beautifully said. Oh my goodness, yeah. we have journeyed through so many <laughs> <laughs> layers of being. Okay. Now if we mm-hmm. if we don't stop talking now, we'll be here for another hour. So maybe wait for a yeah. part three. <laughs> Yeah, we do these regularly. We we always have stuff to talk about. Oh, yes. Goodness. Yeah, if you could be you if you could see our messages back and forth, it's just crazy shit all the time. And then we're like, we should be doing a podcast about this. Every like twice or three times a week at least, we say, Oh, this yeah. should, this could be a good podcast. Yeah, and then we <laughs> get on the podcast and we start talking about a totally side topic. It's fine because it's all stuff, it's divinely guided. We are I surrendering. Know yeah totally okay Deborah. <laughs> how how can we work with you in your magic well uh you can find me on substack on instagram i have a facebook group it's called activate your telephone line to source mm-hmm. um and yeah the easiest way is just my website all the information is there and i do different types of readings of live sessions with people channeling akashic records readings and i make channeled art and yeah, yeah. go check it out Deborah, I am so grateful that you make your art because I feel like you're a way shower for artists that have struggled with how they can really give their art out into the world. So I just want to say that in in case I haven't told you before, I want to tell you how grateful I am that you do your art the way that you do it. 
Well, yeah, because I actually wrote, I know we have to wrap it up, but just real quick, because I wrote a blog about that a few months ago when I realized that I had already created 77 portraits. And then I went back in time, like, oh, my God, my art teachers, when I graduated, like, imagine, like, they were like, oh, yeah, you're going to be broke. You're not going to be making any money off of this. Like, no, here I am, like, combining all of this stuff, my clairvoyance with my painting, and I'm giving people information. And that's just the thing that I was looking for. How can I use this tool of creating images and add value to people's lives? Thank you, Deborah. Yeah, we're going to destroy that starving artist because no person deserves to be a starving artist. They deserve to be a flourishing artist with their art all over people's walls. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, my darling, thank you so much for being here today and wait until the third spicy rant that we have. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And of course, if you enjoy, feel free to subscribe to both Deborah and I if you're finding us on Substack. Thank you. Bye.